It's sort of like weird summer camp for rich kids where you get to perform some lost art so that you're a better well-rounded human, like learning how to ride a horse or something like that, like learning how to drive a pre-war automobile. Like most people can't do it, can you? It's one of the strangest forms of play for adults that exists in the mainstream, but I'm so happy we have in society. Like I'm so happy there's these enthusiasts everywhere, not just playing with cars, but getting together on play dates with other people to play with cars. Watches are totally a part of this. They have to be. Welcome to A Blog to Watch Weekly. We are in the pit lane this week for the conclusion of Ariel's adventures with Chopard and an old Porsche, and we talk watches with motoring themes from IWC and Bulgari. We hear about new releases from Protec and Seiko, get a hands-on report of the Louis Erard Everwatch. Finally, we issue you all invites to a party at Ariel's. Well, at the Bike Shed with Bremont, and at Feldmar Watch Company with Tiso, where if you do come with passport and boarding card, you'll get a free tent and plot in Ariel's yard. Enjoy the show! Greetings and welcome to this week's A Blog to Watch Weekly with our usual compatriots from the A Blog to Watch team, Ariel and David. Say hello, gentlemen. Hey, everyone. Uh, well, that was very, very coordinated considering that Ariel, when he speaks yes. alone at the moment, sounds. He's verging on falling asleep at the microphone. I think if we had a webcam on him, he would be, you know slightly drifting off I think he maybe needs a he needs a Scotsman shouting in his ears that's always very refreshing to the conscious <laughs> <laughs> so we have a busy show this week but let's touch on and we'll, we'll lead into more chat and more detail on one of the watches involved but you guys I'm not you guys actually just Ariel because David you're in Hungary uh, but Ariel you had a new Formula One Grand Prix in Miami and there was lots of watch chat there's always lots of watch chat around cars in general but F1 in particular we had IWC unveiling something but did the Miami F1 Grand Prix feature on the Ariel Adams radar at all or is it just a bit you know it's another thing well I think the funny thing is distance wise you're actually probably closer to the uh, Miami Formula <laughs> One than I am in Los That's Angeles wow. True. That's possibly true. <laughs> so, doesn't really affect my neighborhood. I think what everyone's been so impressed by is the fact that after just a few short years, Formula One in America has become a real thing. When I first started hearing about it in the watch industry, I didn't know or care much about it prior to that. And at you know when when the watch industry was very heavily involved at the time I got into it, I was like, nobody in America even cares about this. Now Miami has been really inundated with watch brands and luxury brands and celebrities and car makers and all kinds of stuff rallying behind uh, this sort of Formula One week that uh, will also go uh, to other places and, and Austin as well as I think where it sort of started in America. So it's it's an exciting event. Car racing as a sport is uh, really popular in America. And Formula One is the most high, the most expensive cars, fastest speeds, I believe, at least for turning and things like that. Like it's it's crazy stuff. I think Americans have really come come into it. It's a lifestyle event as well, which is why watch brands are so, so into it. And, you know, the participation they have with the various drivers and the teams and even the event itself, it's just such a fantastic experience. We had Zach from the Blog to Watch team uh, who was there. I, I've gone to some of the Formula One things. The, the hilarious thing about them is that when you actually go, the race itself isn't really that exciting from a spectator's <laughs> perspective, right? It's yep. very loud, very, yep. very loud. And it's unclear, like, where to watch and spectate. You watch it on a screen. Elements of it can be boring because it's really that exciting to the people who are racing who are going to die if they make a mistake. <laughs> to the spectator, 
it's it's like watching kind of a boat race from far away. So I, I think it's a cool thing. Very quirky to actually be at. But the institution of it is sometimes actually more exciting than the actual event. Yeah, I think the lifestyle element of it seems to be what's really caught on. Obviously, Miami. It's all about that. Because fundamentally, I think we need to stop kidding ourselves. I mean, I watch Formula One religiously, but fundamentally, it's quite a boring sport. I think we just need to accept that. We need to speak the truth in love it's a, actually quite a dull sport most of the time as a lifelong f1 fan uh this 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 whole whole conversation <laughs> is just hurting me so deeply it's, it's just such nonsense oh present the other side david come on God, David, <laughs> tell us the truth it's like me going to like a whatever like a like a whole horse race or like a whatever a badminton or something like that and, and i would watch that i was like oh, this is not very exciting i'm not playing so i don't care i mean it's like <laughs> sure you know but there's a reason why these are packed events and uh, and there's a lot of uh, um you know liberty media has done a lot to bring the, the sport closer and that's why like you guys said it's it's a big deal now in america yeah. whereas it wasn't under previous ownership and Here's a little bit of an insight to us watch lovers. This new company that owns Formula One is called Liberty Media, and they purchased Formula One in 2017 from CVC Capital Partners, who uh-huh. at the time uh-huh. uh, cashed in for $8 billion, and they spent a little bit of that to acquire Brightling. Yep. So Formula One turned around because CVC Capital Partners did not own it any longer, and Breitling turned around because they did. Oh, there you go. CVC didn't own it for very long, right? They had it for just a few years. Uh, Formula One? Yeah. I'm in with Eccleston behind it all. It's It's been a shady business. Allegedly. Oh, so the CVC and Ecclestone was together. All of it is allegedly, of course. Oh, I love hearing the stories about Bernie Ecclestone. <laughs> oh, again, great. you'll have to look up his famous Hublot ad. That's, oh, yeah, that's, that's brilliant. one for the ages. Just... Just Google Hublot and Bernie Eccleston and you will find something And hilarious. it's a real advert, folks. It wasn't a joke or a meme. It's the sort of thing today that would be a meme, but it was actually a real advert. Yeah. Uh, so uh, go and check that out. So you've got F1 coming to Las Vegas in two years? Or is it mm. next year? Two years, 2023? I think next I think? year. Is it next year, 2023? Whatever, soon enough. Soon enough. Is that just going to be like Miami, but on steroids? I would bring gambling into it, but that's for another discussion. You know, that, that would be pretty funny. No, 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 no. Let's have that discussion quickly. How would you bring gambling into it? I've always thought that the way the races should be more made more even is go back to the, go back to the standing start days where yeah. the drivers had to sprint to their that's cars. That's exactly what I was then thinking. <laughs> yeah, the Le Mans style start. They would yep. be lined up at the other end of the straight and they would play the one arm bandit, and that would like decide whatever, like some odd thing. The first person to get four in a row, and then you then get to oh, yeah. you, you keep having to pull the one arm bandit until you you get four in a row, and then you can leave. I think that'd be a much more exciting way of doing it. That would be that would be a very American take on, on Formula One, that's for sure. Surely the most American take would be to like stop the race after about fifteen minutes, make everybody sit still so they can show the Watch advertisements. Yeah, and then everybody <laughs> has they, they, they go behind the safe. Is it like not a safety car? like an advert car mm-hmm. every 15 minutes oh yeah and then they restart the race surely that's the the approach it's so gonna happen uh, iwc just launched or evc as they call it at the company which is interesting launched a new watch at the miami grand prix and it has all the miami colors on it and it's also very on trend because it's sort of like tiffany blue ish but they call it uh, patronus blue because patronus is a uh, is a major sponsor of the Mercedes AMG Formula One team, and so it's black with uh, this patronus blue or turquoise blue uh, straps and indices. It's a high contrast watch. It looks really cool, 
and it's said to be the first EVC or IWC watch specifically made for the Formula One team of Mercedes uh, AMG, which is kind of cool. But you can also buy it. It's like $7,850 if you want one. It's a pilot's watch, Chronograph 41. Pretty handsome watch. Pretty standard. Yeah, we got to see this under embargo at Watches and Wonders, which mm-hmm. was rather painful because it was one of the highlights yep. of Watches and Wonders for me. I think when they brought it over and said, oh, I can show you this. right In titanium. Yeah, it, it was lovely. It was absolutely stunning. And I quite like the Patronus Blue rubber strap that comes with it. Maybe we should start a campaign to rename Tiffany Blue. Patronus Blue? To Patronus Blue. I mean, to, to a degree, you know that <laughs> IWC was like, this is a trendy color, and we have a really good reason for using it. This is great. Like, you know they had that discussion. Mm. But it's clever, isn't it? Sure. It is lovely. Watch not limited edition, so you can actually go online and buy it. Kind of tempting. I mean, I love how IWC has not become the company of watch designs. It's become the company of colors. Is We have our designs. Now we're just <laughs> going to make them in different colors. That's... I'm not, I'm not saying that in a derogatory way. I mean, it's kind of amusing, but like that's what the company is at least right now in 2022. It's a very interesting transition. Yeah, I mean, they have such ability to make virtually anything. I mean, I don't think there's a type of movement or a complication that they're not able to effectively make in-house at IWC. But yes, you're correct. They do seem to be somewhat focused on producing the same watch in multiple shades or different ceramics or or whatever and no doubt they're going to be taking up the headlines further because top gun is out in two weeks and other than mr cruz's watch which is a porsche design everybody else is wearing iwc (laughs) at watches and wonders if you didn't know you were at a watch exhibit at a watch booth and someone's like oh you just popped in the iwc booth what does this company do you'd be like make shipping containers furniture sell beer (laughs) beer (laughs) like it's becoming like a weird sort of avant-garde art project for insiders. Like that's what IWC sort of is right now. Like you have to really? have like layers of knowledge in the brain. If you just came into IWC today, would you understand what's going on? Is my point. I think it's the contrary, actually. Um, I, I was what I was going to say is that I think they are reducing the number of core collections and watches that they are banging on about and communicating over and over and over and over again. It's like big pilot. It's a, it was everywhere. It was even on the freaking boat outside of like Miami somewhere. It was like the big pilot boat, which doesn't really make too much sense. But it said big pilot on it and it was like a heavily designed boat. And you see it everywhere. And I think they might have realized that this, the, the key to success is for people to be bombarded with the same message, the same one style. Like, okay, IWC, what is IWC? It's a pilot's watch. So leave the engineer, leave the aqua timer, leave all the other, the Da Vinci and whatever else. We are now the big pilot brand and just the question is what flavor of of uh, of big pilot do you want do you want a 41 a 43 do you want a 48 do you want loud colors do you want a vintage one whatever we'll say sell it to you sooner or later there will be one but like you said ariel and i agree completely they kind of stopped designing watches and it's just different flavors of the same thing but in my eyes that's not narrowing but rather widening the spectrum of people who might be interested because it's it's easier to understand i I don't i don't disagree at all and yes you see that design and if iwc does their job correctly you'll think iwc the question is okay after that association what do you think or feel next because these brands can't get away with mere association they need products that are associated with a brand as well as a value or a lifestyle and i'm just saying that they're in this sort of weird gray zone right now 
where if you really just look at their stuff right now, they're not communicating a value. They're expensive and they're not really explaining why. It's kind of like Panerai. Like no no one sat you down and be like, okay, sir, here's why Panerai is ex- so expensive. I think people need that these days. Do you not think it's weird though that in this era of integrated steel sports watches, one of the companies that has this in their arsenal but seems to do nothing about it is IWC with the Ingenieur. I mean, is that not the lowest hanging fruit in the watch world at the moment is producing that at the kind of price that is above the Morris Lacroix, you know, that kind of interpretation of the Gentle design, but below the Royal Oak and the Shipex and the Tondas, etc. I don't know if anyone knows what to do with these products because the traditional use of many of these was an, an anti-magnetic watch. And that's sort of made redundant by a lot of the materials that, you know, uh, you can use that are basically amagnetic. So I think they're trying to ask themselves, like, what does today's engineer's watch do? The Milgauss is basically obsolete. The engineer doesn't, you know, it's obsolete. Yes, they have it. The last time around when they made it, it was sort of a flop. It didn't do very well. I'm not really sure why. I think maybe they're just a little bit ahead of their time. And I think that the current CEO doesn't have the stomach to sink millions of dollars into experimenting with different ingenieurs just for it to come out when maybe that trend is sort of tailed off and no one really Uh cares anymore. Like, it's actually, it's a risky thing to do. I just think it's odd that they've got this engineer's watch, but they choose to develop a pilot's watch. Okay, as you say, not (laughs) much development in just changing the color, but launching a new engineer on the F1 team of mercedes okay maybe this year would have been bad timing considering how badly they're doing but you would thought that that was like a a home run in terms Mm. of a partnership and you know partnerships all you ever hear from toto wolf and uh, chris granger in terms of their conversations with each other it's literally called the engineer you know and (laughs) and there's like maybe a hundred engineers and one and two pilots maybe three pilots in and the formula one team i mean one reserve driver and two main drivers so it's a three to 150 ratio and yet they made a big pilot for the whole whole team which is kind of funny but again i think it, it goes back to them just really wanting to communicate the the, the big pilotness of, of iwc and they did make a, an engineer actually for uh for them i think it was like the carbon performance or whatever and it actually had a layered like really cool carbon um case a couple of years ago and that i think that was made for the formula one team which is really kind of cool good stuff well if you want to read up all about that and see some great photos uh, check out sean's article on a blog to watch and check out zach's photos on his instagram account no doubt there'll be more coming on a blog to watch all about that this week we have a sponsored post from ProTech, their launch of the Series 1000 tactical watches. These have tritium tube illumination, which is my personal favourite. I'm a big fan of this, uh, having looked at it on the likes of ball watches. Marathon, I think, do it as well. So this is someone with a bit of a background in making these kind of watches. I do very much like the look of this. But Ariel, you know Barry Cohen, the founder uh, and owner of this brand, better than I do. So why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Barry has been someone I've known for nearly as long as I've been in the watch industry. I started a blog to watch back when I was living up in San Francisco. He lives up in the the Bay Area. Um, And at the time, he was with Luminox, which was a brand that he started, actually, 
and he had the idea of taking tritium gas tubes and making sort of a Navy SEALs authorized watch licensed by them. He was very clever with distribution, and he's actually quite an important person in the modern watch industry. He eventually sold Luminox to a Swiss company, ironically enough that the uh, Swiss-made watch became a Swiss brand, and Luminox is now owned by uh, the company that owns Mondain. They've sort of taken it from there, and Barry never wanted to get out of the watch industry. He wanted to stay in there, and he had a couple of small brands he came up with, and apparently had a, a non-compete that you know said he couldn't um, do a similar watch as Luminox, and now that is over, and according to him, he wants to go and, and, and do what he loves and do what he knows, and he loves these types of watches. They they are similar to certain Luminox designs, not copies by any means. But the irony is it's from the guy that sort of did it to begin with. He feels uh, that he can sort of extend this. They're affordable. They're, they're durable. They're sporty. There's a market for watches like this for sure. It's sort of, we'll call it like a tactical watch. And uh, it's great to see him coming back with what he's so good at uh, in the form of a sponsored post uh, on a blog to watch. Yeah, these are going out via Kickstarter, although I think because of Barry's kind of status in the industry, you would probably be safe to give slightly more reliance to this Kickstarter release than many, many others of watches. You can certainly tell the Luminox influence. It's a bit like what happened at Doxa, possibly, that the guy that kind of brought that back left and is now doing his own thing somewhere else, and you can kind of see the DNA seeping through. But I really like these. I'm a big fan of this kind of watch because it's just a kind of do-anything-go-anywhere. I am, as I said, a big fan of tritium gas tubes. So, yeah, it's certainly very well worth checking out. There's lots of colorways, and it's kind of matched all the way through colored straps etc etc so yeah go check this out on their blog to watch site and if you're interested you can go check out kickstarter i think these start about 500 bucks no actually correction these will finish at about 500 bucks but i think for the first backers of this it starts at about 350 so i don't think you've got very much to lose to be honest going and have a wee look at this this is quite a quite a nice everyday beater watch as i say or tactical watch so go and check that out on the website ariel tell us about some upcoming events well we've got two events back to back happening here in los angeles first is on may 21st with bremont and the second is on may 25th with tiso Bremont is going to be at the Bike Shed Motor Company here in Los Angeles, which is a new authorized dealer. It is the second location of the Bike Shed out of London. Very uh, great that they opened up here in Los Angeles. An interesting venue where you can buy a motorcycle or get your hair cut or eat a meal um, or buy a watch all, all right. in the same visit. And then our second event is, like I said, going to be on May 25th at the Feldmar Watch Company store, famous watch store here in Los Angeles. We did a wonderful event with them in December with Seiko. Uh, we had a really big turnout. Um, and I guess we're going to be doing a lot more events with them. We have many planned. Tissot's coming to town. I'm excited by the Tissot one because, you know, Tissot hasn't been at any watch shows in quite some time. So, a lot of people haven't seen these watches, and they've released some excellent watches. The new C-Star watches, the PRXs, which start at like 375 bucks, And they just released an automatic mechanical chronograph version uh, of the PRX, which is also very cool. And that's just under 2000 So 
such a great case shape with such a variety of movements and, and, and styles and things like that. The Sea Stars are diving watch collection and they go from, I think, as, as, as small as 35, I'm sorry, 36 millimeters um, up to, um, you know, around 45 millimeters. So much variety there. Really good looking, sturdy selection of like sort of daily wear dive watches. Again, just really great values from Tissot and some great designs. Bremont, always having a good time with them. I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of their new watches I haven't seen in a while. So to come to either of those events, just send an email to rsvp at a blogtowatch.com. That is rsvp at a blogtowatch.com. Let us know uh, which event you want to go to and how many people. And uh, if there's space, we will sign you up. Thank you so much, and we'll see you there. And if you want to come from overseas, you're more than welcome. Ariel has a big back garden. You can bring a tent and uh, pitch it there or just sleep on his doorstep and hope he takes. If you come from overseas, I will supply the tent. You don't have to bring your own. I don't have one, but I'll get you one if that's how you want to roll. I have a (laughs) nice backyard. It'll be comfortable. Right, okay. Canadians and Mexicans who are semi-local, we are appealing to you to take Ariel up (laughs) up on his... You just need to bring your passport and your boarding card to see you flown, and Ariel will provide you with a tent. I'm curious about this Tissot event. I've, reading the advert, it says signature cocktails, hors d'oeuvres, and curated beats. Now, is that curated beats as in music? Curated beats as in, it's just I don't know what it means, or curated beats as in like vegetables, like beetroots and stuff. What's a curated beat? Uh, that might have been a typo that's supposed to say bites. So I, uh, I'm i going to have to go look into that one. <laughs> okay, typos here. Normally it's me that does all It should be confessed, I'm normally the typo king around here, as everybody knows. But maybe it's been somebody else's fault this time. So that's great. Good news for me. Not alone. I, I'm looking forward to seeing what your impression is of Tissot. I think, I mean, Tissot are, are they the largest by volume Swiss watch manufacturer? I think they make about 2 million watches a year, do they not? You know... Those aren't numbers that they regularly publish. Mm. Those could be numbers from a few years ago. I think what's safe to say is that they are in the top three or four of the highest producers of Swiss watch brands. Definitely. They're part of the Swatch group. You would also have Swatch in that, which probably produces more, but it's definitely a lot, yes. In recent weeks, recent months, recent years, in fact, they have been producing some really cracking products that you know, are, yeah, they're at the, what you was, I suppose, called the budget end of the luxury watch industry, but are certainly stack more than well up to their competitors. I mean, who would be Tissot's, who would they see as a competitor? Is it kind of a Timex or a... Well, the funny thing is you can get a better value in a mechanical watch with a Tissot than a Seiko these days, like by far sometimes. Yes, and we will come on to that shortly when we review the Seiko uh, that was on the website this this week. And there's nothing wrong with the Seiko. The Seiko is a very good watch. But if you're looking at sheer value for the money, the Swatch Group really has a monopoly on that, in my opinion. Mm. Agree. Agree. By the way, it's curated beats, like sounds. It is curated beats, so it's music. Music. I was it's, like, just I, that, I, it's just that it followed on from talking about food. So I was like, is, is this like for the vegetarians? Does it mean beets like beetroot, beet crops? I don't know. Well, it's not spelled like that, but it sounds like you're hungry for some root vegetables, so come on down. I'm Scottish, so, you know, it's the Celtic blood. We're all about the potato over here. <laughs> so there we go. I I will come on down and get my tent. 
I wonder if I could just jump on a plane and say, I demand my tent. What do you, fa- what do you think, David? Do you think we should share a two-man tent? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> An offer you can't refuse. I'm, I'm not I'm not that tempted. David yet, likes but... <laughs> mattresses and electricity a whole lot. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And running water. <laughs> <laughs> and the Bremen event, Nick and Giles are presumably both going to be there. Yeah, I think they're going to both be in town. There might be some celebrity guests i mean they have an awful lot of very important very famous people that wear their watches and have worn their watches and here in los angeles more than a few of them are bound to uh to be around so uh we're expecting a a a quite a turnout it's going to be fun are you telling us that ryan reynolds has moved from omega to bremen that would be something wouldn't it shout out to ryan reynolds any ryan reynolds spotting this week was he at the f1 grand prix I'm sure he was. I mean, I I I think I watched a Ryan Reynolds movie. Mm. Um, the, I think it was that one on Netflix, The Adam Project, or something like that. It has also got Omega in it, has it not? Yes, it's got a Speedmaster in there, <laughs> quite quite you know, prominently, remarkably. <laughs> the thing is, this it's such a terrible movie, which is barely carried by him as like a like he's his char- like he just plays himself all the time. He's really got it down, but like. It can really carry an otherwise terribly derivative film. He has moved into that acting category whereby he just plays himself. Kind of like, I don't know, Jim Carrey or... No, no, no. Like no? Denzel Washington. Denzel, Denzel Washington, Washington has so many roles. He just sort of perfected this character. He's not, let's, let's rinse and repeat. <laughs> well, there we go. There's our... Our weekly show to Ryan Reynolds until he starts speaking back to us. What do we want him to do exactly? What is it? Well, I don't know. Uh, well, come on the show. Uh, turn up to the Bremen event. I don't know. We I, want I'm Ryan to, to record offers. a message for you. <laughs> yeah, email Rick at a blog to watch.com, Ryan. You listen to me, Scotsman. <laughs> send send that voicemail <laughs> message. And just wait because I Scotland, I think, might end up playing Wales and obviously. Ryan now owns a Welsh football team in the qualification for the World Cup. So the kind of final knockout. So we'll get, see if we can get a bit of aggro going. You know, you'll know nothing about it, but I can pretend that he's... I'm rooting know, for you. To me. I want this to me. happen. <laughs> Okie doke. Now, you also reported this week, Ariel, on your driving experience. We've had this a couple of times in the show, but this is now the concluding part of the story. And this was your drive... Now, I'm going to butcher this just so that I can get a row, because off, off recording, I've already been given a row about how I pronounce Mule Miglia, because I put a G in it. So go on, David. <laughs> Thank you. Tell us how it's supposed to be pronounced with your 0.05 Italian in you. Yeah, I think it's I think it's Mule Miglia. I could be, could be wrong, but I'm, I'm not sure that they, that they say Miglia. You're being, you're being humble there. You know you're not wrong. I think you know, but if you if you make it like a little bit more pompous and more telling, like Miglia, I guess then then it works. <laughs> it's a sign of a good romance language to actually write letters but not be able to pronounce it. Mm, uh-huh. <laughs> the more of these there are, the more romantic it is. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, is, is Hungarian a romance language, David? Oh no, not even close. No, no, <laughs> we, we specifically pronounce every single freaking letter that you can think of, like literally all of them, and a bunch of extra ones too. You didn't think you yes. would need. Because there are some sounds for which the regular ABC didn't have, the alphabet didn't have letters uh-huh. for, so we had to invent like six of them or eight of them, or I don't know how many. Let's move on to to, to discuss the show part. So you actually, how was the event? It was great. I mean, you know, 
it, it is it is licensed. They do they license the 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 Mila Milia the name, even just because it's a thousand miles. Like they wouldn't need to do it, but they just thought it was cool. They're like, you know what? There's this Italian thing called the Mila Milia. Let's connect with it. They don't even have the That's same cool. rules or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> the only similarity is it's sort of the same cars, not all the same cars, and it's a thousand miles. That's it. And they thought it was hmm. so great that this Italian event was just to skew the metric system and go with miles, right? They're like, oh, that's so that's so charming of the Italians. The Italian one has this weird thing. David explained this to me, and then so did a few others, where it's it's like no other race. It's more like a boat race where it's about reaching a point at a specific time, like the start of a boat race, as opposed to getting there as quickly as possible. So you're supposed to pace yourself. Now, this is the Italian version. In California, they're like, yeah, that's way too much work. So one of the most, you know, the best experiences I had there was I had this written manual that explained the directions. And this thing was like a giant binder, right? Because it was like several days worth of directions. And never in my life did I have to be a like a co-pilot in the car, making sure the driver knew where to go through written instructions. It was sort of this amazing thing, like, of course, pre-GPS and, and to a degree, even before maps, where you had to be like, at, at this sign, turn this way. And I got to experience the very analog practice of going over directions and sort of throwing you into this sort of pre-digital world, which is what driving these cars and, and doing things like this is all about. It's sort of like weird summer camp for rich kids where you get <laughs> to perform some lost art, right, so that you're better well-rounded human like learning how to ride a horse or something like that like learning how to drive a pre-war automobile like most people can't do it can you it's it's, it's not of, easy it's one of the strangest forms of play for adults uh that exists in the mainstream it's not for everyone but i'm so happy we have in society like i'm so happy there's these enthusiasts everywhere that into this ripe sometimes old age they're still spending a lot of money not just playing with cars, but getting together on play dates with other people to play with cars. Watches are totally a part of this. They have to be. Uh, I mean, I think it's it's incredible. Uh, it's it's just so much fun. It it really takes your mind off of things when you are trying to not crash into a one point five million dollar <laughs> Mercedes Gullwing on crappy brakes and crappy tires and no brake servo and whatsoever on like <laughs> cobbled streets. Uh, that, that, that's like that's like when you're not thinking about work or anything else. Not even watches for that matter. You're just like, how am I going to not hit this car? I remember when, when I did Mila Mila a couple of years ago, there was this row of like six or seven of these super expensive golfing Mercedes. And we were at the wrong spot for, obviously. And they said, sure, just come through, just come through. And I was like, I was in a car where you had to like press the gas pedal at all times at the first 10 minutes after starting. And it did have a choke in it, but the choke didn't quite work. So even when I was braking, I had to just add a little bit of gas. So I was working the clutch and braking with no brake servo. So you have to apply the force with which you actually want to brake. So you can literally stand on the brake pedal before anything happens and add a little bit of a gas with your heel and man maneuver through this like row of like 10 million dollars of cars. And I was like, okay, this this is this is good, good stuff. What watch am I wearing? That was not on my mind. <laughs> I just want to say that I applaud anyone that has the patience for this stuff because the types of things that David is describing, like I, they're they're real and it's true. And and some people seem to be immensely charmed by this and like mm. fall in love with this. For me, 
I'm horrified at the notion <laughs> that I have to drive a car that will do things like accidentally turn off. You know what I mean? Like these problems have been so thoroughly fixed in the most inexpensive of today's modern cars. Oh yeah. That it's just it's it's so hard to go backwards to live without things years. that we take for granted today. Yeah. You know, it'd be saying like, "Hey, com- operate this computer, but no, no mouse, no mouse. Just the keyboard. <laughs> just the keyboard, okay? Can just you do binary that? code. Just binary code." Yeah, yeah, just like it's 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 a very primitive thing. There's definitely a joy to it. It's scary as hell. Like going over normal roads that like, you know, again, I always like trying to throw a Toyota Corolla in there. Like like a Toyota Corolla would like drive circles around half these cars. <laughs> <laughs> and did you have any breakdown experiences or see anything of Oh of, yeah. Of well, okay, so the car the car I was in, which was the uh, the three fifty six Porsche from 1957 did surprisingly okay. It's pretty durable. I mean, it's got, it's it's got such a basic engine. People kept saying, "Do you know what only takes an hour to swap out that engine?" I'm like, "That shouldn't be a pride point." Like, that's... how do you know that? <laughs> <laughs> so many people said that to me. Do you know how simple the engine is? It's got a hundred horsepower. Okay, it's like you know, a it's lawnmower a... engine. <laughs> Basically, you know, it's like four <laughs> screws hold it together or something. <laughs> it's not encouraging. So we're driving by. I don't think what I think. Oh, is it? Old Fiat, and we're driving by this old Fiat. So like, like classic. This this scene. It's it's first. It's on the side of the road. There's a bunch of men standing around it. White <laughs> smoke is billowing. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so the, it's very hazy. It's like you're driving through fog. Like, where am I going? Like, you're in a war. Is this smoke coming from this thing? They're all talking. They can't. They can't agree. And they're all and they're all wearing red. And of course. The guy who's driving it has to wear the whole full-on thing where he looks like Super Mario. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so so we, we had that. I want to know if in the history of mankind, a car has ever broken down the side of the road with smoke billowing out of it. And it has been a helpful process to just open the bonnet and look inside. Whether anyone's actually gone, oh, it's that bit there. Just <laughs> you just have to let it air a little bit. And that's it. <laughs> Waft it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there, there are tricks. And these, and these scenes are hilarious. They have this whole crew of mechanics and tow trucks that follow along. <laughs> <laughs> they have every car had this like orange placard inside and when you looked at it it was essentially a service order thing it was it was like their equivalent of ordering breakfast in the morning at a hotel it was just assumed there was problems so you wrote little notes here and and their mechanics would look at it you know on a regular basis and and keep a log and try to fix things as they go along and again, cool. if you did any of this with any modern car, you could go and get like the most basic Kia and all of these problems would be completely outside of your realm of thinking. You would never have to worry about, can I get up this hill? Can I turn? Is my wheel going to fall off? Like some crazy thing. I just looked it up and, and the Abarth, which is just basically a jumped up Fiat in some ways that I was driving in 2019 had 44.6 horsepower. And that's when it was new, so it probably had about 22 by the time you were driving it. I, I just love it that they specified the extra 0. 0.6. I mean, today's performance cars are like 500, 0. 0.6 horsepower. No, they're just 500, but here the extra 0. 0.6 was there. I'm 5 foot 11 and a half, 
the half is important. <laughs> exactly. You see, yeah, that, that's kind of what it is. Uh, good stuff. If you want to read my uh, my shenanigans, just go and and uh, just Google Mila Amelia and the block to watch, and you will find it. You know, soon enough. Driving reports. We've done a lot of these over the years. You know, we we're lo- we love being drivers, and when we go to these events. David at the Mila Amelia or at the California Mill or many of these other events. I mean, they're full of watch lovers, and it's one of the few times in America that you can go to an event that just has like watch people everywhere. And that's, for me, that's a great part of it as well. We've gone from four wheels or sometimes three wheels by the sounds of it. Let's go to two wheels and speak about a new release from Bulgari. And this is in in partnership with Ducati, the motorcycle manufacturer. I quite like this, mainly because it doesn't say Ducati on it. Because I'm not a big fan. That's why I like the show part. Of the it's only got a, a little reference to it. This actually, I think, could just have been a standard Bulgari release of this well-trod aluminium chronograph. Uh, it's in red. It's five grand, I think. I don't know how many they're making. I think they're making quite a few. A thousand, so... A thousand. Maybe it doesn't really qualify as limited edition if you're making a thousand of them. Does anybody have a an opinion? What is the maximum number of a thing you should be allowed to make before you call it limited edition. It doesn't matter. You see, like, watches that are not limited, for example, like anything in steel in, from Rolex, is extremely, de- uh, in, in, uh, you know, uh, desirable and in high demand. Nobody cares whether it's limited or not. And this watch may exist in a thousand pieces, but, you know, the question is, are there a thousand and one Ducati and Bulgari enthusiasts out there, right? And I don't think there are. So it's like, okay, we're making a thousand, and because we know we are going to make only a thousand because there's not that big of a market to might just as well say it, you know? To answer your question, it doesn't really make a difference. I mean, if it was like five pieces from Rolex, sure, the world would explode. But then again, that would not happen. So uh, I feel like uh, the desirability of a watch these days rarely hangs on the number of uh, a limited one, but rather on a bunch of other factors. I have a lot of strong feelings about this watch. First of all, from a commercial perspective, this makes total sense. I mean... Two sort of Italian-themed companies, two luxury brands, you know, both of them have, have worked outside of their lanes before with cars and, and, and cycles. Bulgari and Ducati's worked with a number of, of watch brands before and stuff like that. This is, you know, again, not a small limited edition, a thousand pieces, but there's a lot of people around the world. It'll be successful. And it's actually not bad for what it is. It could have been a lot worse. I do agree with you, Richard, mm-hmm. that the dial benefits from not saying Ducati on it. It only says on the back. They did sort of an interesting dial. The red is in there. The mixture of markers and and, and Arabic uh, numeral hour markers are cleverly done. Uh, the subdial design is clear and sporty. It doesn't break any ground whatsoever for a watch enthusiast. And I think that's one of the reasons that our audience wasn't as hot on it. But if you sort of like are just a luxury fan um, I think that this will do very, very well. I still think the aluminum case is sort of an exotic, weird thing that's probably not for everyone. You have to sort of like the material for what it is, appreciate the lightweight na- nature, and know that it's a little bit more on the fragile side. So I still feel that there should be maybe a steel option here. But, you know, again, I'm just sort of protective of people that don't tend to be like watch lover, watch lovers to sort of can baby their watches. You know, I just see the person getting this as being someone that probably doesn't take as good care of their watches as maybe one of us does. I swither over 
time as to whether I like the fundamental design of the Bulgari Bulgari logo on the bezel. And at the moment, I'm going through a phase of thinking that's pretty cool, as well as on the strap. It's got, you know, it's what Maurice Lacroix do with their logo on the strap. A few other brands have done it as well. Oh, I'm so into it. Moment, I like it. At the moment, I'm into it. But there was a time that I very much wasn't into it. Is there something that's changed in me? Because... Yeah, I don't mind showing that this is says Bulgari, and people who are not watched people will know the brand. Or is it just becoming a slightly more culturally acceptable thing to do? It's just so much more obnoxious on, on images than it is in real life. In real life, when you put this watch on, it's not that big of a watch. It's something like 42 or thereabouts. You put it on and it's black on black. These, these um, letters are recessed into this rubber bezel. It just looks great in real life. And again, this is like a kind of an out there watch with this strange cylindrical lock design. And then again, all these uh, extra uh, flexible bits in the strap. It's it's an out there watch. You don't you don't you don't need to tone this down into an Oyster Perpetual thirty six with a dome bezel. You know, no, it, it, it's it's loud. It's Italian in person and in the metal. I think it looks ace. At five grand, it's a bit steep. That's that's my only gripe with it. I think this would be an excellent three three and a half grand watch, but five is, is a bit of a stretch. So I was gonna say I think the standard is about three grand. Is it not? The Chrono is more expensive. Because this has like an ETA 2894 or something, yeah, ETA 2894, which isn't as thick, so it doesn't have a 7750, so it has a more refined movement, and it's very nicely made. That's something that is rarely, I think, known about this particular watch. You, you hold it in your hand, and it just feels so great. Yeah, the standard, I've just looked up, the standard chronographs 4.6 versus this at 5. Uh, so it's only a few hundred quid additional for the Bulgari, for the sorry, for the Ducati Red, but uh, still makes it a pretty expensive watch. Why do they have to charge more for that? They always like it's like yeah. they're so excited that they get an opportunity to charge more. They're like, oh well, the dial, yeah. uh, four hundred more because they can. It's just it's like charge exactly the same, just charge yes. the same, yes. charge less, charge like go on, break the will charge less for your limited edition. Charge to Grant. Don't go as far as Richard's saying, but don't charge more. Good stuff. Well, go and check out the article at ablogtowatch.com. I got to check out hands-on the Louis Erard with second-second regulator that is the 404 error watch. I really want to know what the exact context was where they came up with this idea, where... You know, did they where they say Louis Erard sounds like Louis Error, and then the joke on the dial is that it says Louis Error, like a four or four error. Mm. It's 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 self-deprecating humor, so it's the brand making fun of itself, which I enjoy, which makes for good comedy. It's the design is just sort of silly, right? It it has this sort of blue bar for the uh, minutes hand that looks sort of like a, a an Ethernet cable that connects once an hour to, to sort of say 404 error and the rest of the time it says louis error i think people like the joke it's you know it's a quite a limited watch not too expensive i think what it does is it signals a good sense of character and humor at the brand shows that they're not taking themselves too seriously it's a collaboration watch so second second is a small outfit in paris that basically takes vintage watches and replaces you know one of their hands with something silly and cute like something from a video game so I like that they did this. I think they could have gone a little bit further. It's very, very niche. It's very, very niche in, in terms of the appeal. Like very few people are going to get this. But you're talking about, you know, the creative director who is Manuel Emk at Louis Erard. 
is a fan of this type of esoteric modern art, so I can completely see him greenlighting this. Second, second's spoken to him a couple of times, but his basic pitch, uh, which is the front page of his website, is I vandalize other people's products only because I failed at building mine. One of my personal favorites of his is the Millennium Falcon watch, which is what kind of got me into and flagged them up as existing to me. That would be, well, maybe four years ago. I really like this. I'm a big fan of regulator watches. So this just takes one of my favorite layouts of watch and just adds a little bit of humor to it. The world's, you know, it's a completely in joke. Like, I think people would look at this who knew nothing about watches and would probably think it was some sort of joke watch out of a Christmas cracker. <laughs> I I really like this. I really like this indeed. And at two and a half thousand Swiss francs, it's it's a good watch as a regulator price. And then you add the kind of comedy element and the uniqueness of it. It's 178 pieces. And you've got, well, good bang for your buck. You know, you take this along to your red bar or your watch meetup or, you know, Bremen or Tissot events hosted by a blog to watch coming up shortly and you know people are going to look at this and want to see it and want to try it on and want to flip it over and see see what it's all about. I think one of the bigger questions for a brand like Louis Arard as well as Chrono Swiss is what do you do to make the regulator a little bit more mainstream sexy? It's kind of a funky way of looking at the time. It's based upon these precision clocks from the turn of the century that for all functional purposes don't really exist anymore. And in a modern sense, it's hard to create a lot of relevancy. You know, you can be playful with the dials and things like that. But it's an interesting thing to say if you are Louis Arard or Chrono Swiss or another brand that does a lot of regulators, those are really the two major ones. How do you make that dial layout? It's not really a complication. How do you make that layout have a little bit more of an appeal and relevance? It's cool, but I think that there needs to be like an additional level of messaging that says, hey, you want a regulator for these reasons. What do you think, David? Does this appeal to you or are you like, yeah, whatever? No, I, li- I like buy stuff watches. I think we've seen the same thing from all these brands, even, even more obscure ones, so many times over. And even if I don't like one particular design or redesign or whatever, uh, I might just like the next one, you know? So, um, and someone might like this one. So I'm all for creativity and I'm all against the rigidity of these brands. Certain codes should be respected and certain watches should exist forever in the way that they are, like a Submariner or whatever, but there should be more interesting versions for those who care. So if you want to check this out, go and have a look at Ariel's article or go and check out uh, everything else that Romaric from uh, Second Second does on his website. Just Google it, you'll find it somewhere. There's some cracking takes on Oyster Perpetuals and Zeniths and other things that he's done. So check them out. This week saw the launch of a couple of watches, which are nice, but I think just confuse me even further as to what Seiko stroke Grand Seiko are all about. And this is the Arita Porcelain Dial Watches. I look at this and I think this should be a Grand Seiko, not a Seiko Seiko. It's very simple. What you perceived Grand Seiko to be is now Seiko again. Yeah. And what Grand Seiko was is now a completely different brand which is going through a transitional process of trying to assert a much higher end identity to it so it's like a lot of the similar products there there is things better you know better movements and and they've upgraded certain things but it's for (laughs) for all functional purposes it's really a different brand 
So it's like if you liked Grand Seiko six or seven years ago, now you like Seiko. I mean, I, my opinion has always been if it's over a grand, it should be a Grand Seiko. And these are $1,700. <laughs> nice and direct. So that's it. Quite simple Seiko. Quite a simple concept. More the grand? Grand Seiko. I like it. I'll let you do it in pounds so that the exchange rate works in your favour. So if it's over £1,000, which so is weird. like, I don't know, $1,300. Come on, Tokyo. Euros. That's reasonable. Exactly. Perfectly reasonable. It's over a grand. It's a grand Seiko. It's simple, straightforward. People would understand it. These look like lovely watches. I do like the porcelain dial watches that Seiko, Grand Seiko, Credor, everything else in that brand produce. But at 1700 quid with Seiko written on it, I'm like, yeah, not not, not for me. Grand Seiko written on it. Really? So if it said Grand Seiko, you'd be okay with it? Well, I think, I don't know. I'm just confused. I thought I had Seiko, Grand Seiko figured out three years ago because they seem to be... I, I don't know whether it was a change in management, a change in outlook, but they seem yes. to have finally managed to separate the two brands and what they produced. And then a year later, Grand Seiko came out with all of these dive watches with like spring drive movements in them and costing 10 grand. And I guess I just always associated Seiko with dive watches and Grand Seiko with posher watches. I know that both brands always made a vast range of watches, but it just seemed to confuse my little Scottish brain as to what was going they're on. They're trying to keep you guessing. See, they're doing their job. <laughs> they don't want to have any identity or they don't want to make any sense. They want to keep it on your toes, not having any idea what price point next Seiko is going to come out with and having no idea what genre the next Grand Seiko is going to come out with. Is it just going to be a new dial color? Is it be something radical? Is it going to be a size that no one really wants? Like, <laughs> I, I think the fundamental problem at Grand Seiko is that the Japanese have whatever it is, 90 seasons. I think if we just got the Japanese to change to the four Western seasons, it would do away with a whole load of Grand Seiko content. Okay, everything's hold on. Named hold after on. a season or a mountain or a color of cherry blossom. You got to give them credit for trying to think of some reason, however vague or petty it is, for every new watch to come about. Now, they're overdoing it, but literally the alternative is, hey, we're Grand Seiko. We just came out with another product. You going to buy it? And nobody wants that. <laughs> and the one thing you can guarantee about Seiko and Grand Seiko is there will be another product along in about five minutes' time. Come on, five days' time. Yeah. Let's, be, let's be nice. But every five days or so when they decide to release a new product, it is it is cerebrally difficult for the, the Seiko lover. It's a, mm. it's an interesting thing. And But I appreciate that there is this effort to create reason and rationale and some storytelling. Because in the past... The Japanese brands were very guilty of like never doing this. They would never explain context. Like Casio come out with some amazing new G-Shock and no one was quite sure about what it did better than the last one. Okay. Yeah. Like this happened on a regular basis. And so Seiko corporate has got the message that in order for Grand Seiko to, to more or less ever be what they hope it's going to be, they're going to have to start doing some of that storytelling. And that's not going to happen overnight. The Swiss can barely figure it out most of the time. Okay. So for them to change into more of a storytelling company when they didn't used to be one is not a simple task, and it's easy to make fun of them for, for it, but what you're seeing is a brand in a weird, weird transitional period. The end of the day is that there's some really good Seiko watches coming out yeah. right now, and it's hard to sort through all of them, and I get upset because there's too many nice ones. If, if I only wanted one Seiko a year, I wouldn't care that so many came out, but they come out with so many cool things still that 
it's frustrating. I mean, do you think that this is a transition period such that at the end of it, things like Prospects or Astron may actually become their own brands and you'll not see Seiko on the dial? What you'll see is Prospects on the dial or Astron on the dial. Do we think that what they're actually going through is a process of creating more brands that are specifically niche to like what the Astron does with its technical stuff and what Prospects is known as dive watches, etc. Or are Seiko as a corporation just going to keep producing all of this diverse range of watches that if you go onto the website, you get completely lost as to what you're looking for? Well, I don't think they're going to seriously segment into more brands. I think that they're going to be less global, I mean, less regional products and more global products. I think the idea of having Japanese only or or whatever regional restrictions is going to be maybe more a thing of the past. Yes, we have USA only and Europe only editions and things like that, but they're just, you know, slight different colors and things like that. The Japanese brands had entire collections like the Astron that just weren't sold outside of Japan until they were. Now it's like, you know, with Casio releasing releasing the Oceanus into the wild, there's no holding back. The JDM Japanese domestic market watch might be a thing of the past. We'll see. And now and now the brands need to figure out what does distribution look like? Uh, what is the release schedule? Do you have a press release for everything? I mean, everyone keeps saying to them, if you don't tell people about your watches, no one will ever write about them. Well, that's true, but they get themselves into other trouble as well, like oversaturating the market and not giving media a chance to ever you know, come up with something meaningful. So again, we're, we're just sort of here navigating this crazy storm uh, in the scheme of a larger media market that is, you know, highly chaotic i mean how many watches do seiko and grand seiko make do you think in comparison to the totality of the swiss watch industry what's the kind of scale difference i don't know i mean they make an awful lot of products i wouldn't know exactly what brand to compare them to i think that seiko today looks very different than seiko maybe 10 years ago where you still had an enormous volume part of the business making relatively inexpensive watches that part of the market is not completely gone away, but in large part, it has been supplanted by smartwatches and things like that. Like the person who maybe 10 years ago would have worn a $300 quartz watch has in large part transitioned over into wearing you know, a, a mid-range uh, smartwatch right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what Seiko has had to do to survive is make less watches but charge more per watch so that it can you know, somehow match its, 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 its earning expectations. And I think that that's the period they're in right now. So the fact that Grand Seiko watches are as expensive as they are is probably a necessary reality. Uh, I wouldn't see it as just being greedy. I think Japanese companies like to charge as little as they can most of the time to be competitive. I think they understand that that's a very important part of, you know, working in today's, you know, competitive consumer culture. I think that Grand Seiko is a a gamble, an experiment, and a hope that they can get higher profitability through through lower production by having an elated luxury brand. And that's 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 what I truly think is going on. So David, you've been quite quiet, which either means you've fallen asleep or you grossly disagree with everything that's been said and you're just building <laughs> up in the background for a final rant. <laughs> Oh yeah, my rent concern is more about more more branding than uh, than anything else. I just I just find it such an odd. You know, I remember when when Grand Seiko separated from Seiko in some ways, which just totally doesn't make any sense whatsoever. 
when the dial was double branded, it said Psycho, and then it said Grand Psycho, and then there was this whole charade of uh, about them uh, removing Psycho and then being Grand Seiko, but Grand Seiko already has Seiko in it, and it's been debated all over the internet and comment sections and articles and whatnot, but still, it's just weird, and separating Austrian and all these other sub-brands of Seiko again, it's just, it's just weird to me. Seiko is a powerhouse, globally known, recognized Austrian isn't. Uh, Grand Seiko, again, says it in the name. So it's, it's just all kind of oddness. And, you know, 10 years later, we'll be here talking about, oh, Astron is going back under Seiko or whatever. You know, it's just a back and forth, uh, I think. Uh, I just I just, I just, just wish they concentrated more on design and value proposition than, than branding exercises. So what do we actually think of these two releases? Are you, do you like them? Uh, is it the sort of thing you would buy? Or is it just a bit vanilla in terms of what you're being offered for the price, we, we touched on the what's happening at Tissot, and you know, an expensive Tissot. Okay, it's not going to have a porcelain dial, but some of the most expensive Tissots would still be half the price of of these Seikos. Uh, I mean, it's difficult to make sense of, of, of Seiko's offerings these days. Like, it, it's actually a cool game. When you when you see a new Seiko release, you're like, is it three grand? Is it seven hundred and fifty dollars? Is it six and a half thousand? What what is it going to be? Oh, it's seventeen hundred. I right. think we should play that game. I think we need to get somebody on the show yeah. who doesn't know <laughs> anything about watches, and we'll give them pictures of the various Seikos and see what they price them at. The, 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 the funny thing here is that even if you know watches, and even if you like Seiko, sometimes you can't tell. That's the point. That even if you love watches, sometimes it's really difficult to tell whether you're looking at a two grand Seiko. Yeah, or I mean, you look at one. this, if you were to remove the Seiko logo and put Credor on this, you'd be mm-hmm. like, yeah, yeah same it's, watch. it's a Credor, <laughs> and it's therefore 15 grand, uh, as opposed to putting the Seiko on it, and it's 1,700. So I don't know. These are very nice looking watches. There's no doubt about that. I just don't quite get where they fit. And I think we are suffering a little bit from overload. I think that's what you're expressing, Ariel, which is, yeah, you'd really like to buy a Seiko, but then if another one comes along in five days time, maybe I'd really want to buy that one. So actually, I'll just not buy anything. I feel like you go into a Seiko boutique and they ask like how much money you have and then, oh, this much? Then you can have this watch. If you have half as much, you can have the same watch again. <laughs> and, I, I, and I can appreciate nuances, of course, in, in case finishing and bracelet finishing and, and in movement finishing and also movement performance, where these differences are. And again, the porcelain dials are beautiful. Uh, and th- these are handsome watches. There's nothing wrong with them. I just feel like sometimes the pricing is a bit random. And I feel like there should be greater separation when it comes to, uh, you know, more visible and more easy to tell differentiation between very expensive cycle watches and uh, moderately expensive cycle watches. I'll finally say that one behavior they might be engaging in is just experimentation. The Japanese, for a long time, have engaged in a practice where they they just test the market out. They they throw all kinds of different things, different price points and different designs at the market to see what sells. They do that because they feel that that information is a lot more credible than market surveys and stuff like that, and they're right. But the thing is, is that behavior doesn't anticipate the consumers are so carefully watching every single move. And so while they're trying to figure out like how well they do at different price points and different designs, and thinking like you know a commercial company trying to figure out their future as an enthusiast base we're like looking back being like what the hell is going on here like just like 16 people running this company like we have no idea what you're doing and that's i believe sort of what we're seeing this sort of like 
kind of chaotic experimentation phase happening at Seiko and other brands. Well, if you want to go and check out the experiments at Seiko, then go and have a look at the article by Sean this week and make your decision. Can the Saturday get onto our blog to watch.com and check out the notes from both Superlative podcast that Ariel does on a Monday and from this show? And you can make your own comments and tell us what you think about Seiko. And by making a comment, you are in with a chance of winning something from the A Blog to Watch store. But that's it for our show this week. Any other final thoughts, gentlemen? Keep on listening to the show and see you guys next time. I'm very interested in learning how consumers are perceiving the many options available right now to buy watches online. I'd like feedback on this. This is something that I'm exploring. The idea is that right now as a consumer, there's like an overwhelming amount of ways to buy watches online. And and sometimes the same watch can be purchased different ways. And I wonder what people make of it all. It's a very large and complicated area. But if there are people that really like particular ways of buying watches online or really don't like particular ways of buying watches online, send me a note. Uh, Find a way of, of contacting me. And I will be very interested to chat with you about your thoughts as, as part of my, my current research. Thank you. You can find Ariel on his Instagram account at Ariel to watch. Uh, you can find David. Where can we find you on the internet? It's ABTW David. And you can find me at, at Rick TikTok on Instagram. If you have anything you want to contribute to the show, then do email rick at a blog to watch.com. And other than that, we will see you all next week. Maybe or maybe not with uh, Ryan Reynolds. So goodbye from me and it's goodbye from them. Thanks, everyone. Goodbye, everyone.